Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Here we are. Praise the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, welcome to another venture with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. I am your host, uh, richly supported by my daughter, Destiny. She's the brains behind this operation. She just tells me where to go, what clothes to put on. You know, and I'm just an obedient father. <laughs> Everything that I've tried to train the children has backfired on me. Praise God. No, it's so good. It's so good to serve the Lord with my my children. They have been such a blessing, uh, not just to me, but to so many. But I do have some somewhat of a sad news report here. Um, we had scheduled Michael Foster. Uh, he is one of the authors of the blockbuster book called It's Good to Be a Man. Well, Michael, like a lot of us during this season, he got seriously sick. So we've had to postpone that interview. Uh, We do hope to reschedule him in a couple of weeks. Um, In light of that, I still would encourage you uh, to purchase this book, to give it as a present this Christmas for every man in your life. It will not only challenge and bless him, but all those who d- depend on him. So I, I would really encourage you to follow up and get that book into as many men's hands as possible. So in light of the postponement, what do we do? Where do we go? Well, my daughter, uh, Destiny and I, we, we just thought it prudent to share a little bit about our families thanksgiving celebration we all met in north carolina where my daughters uh, cassia and shekinah with their families live and we all got together except for uh, my son valiant his bride jaron and my grandson benaniah the lion killer hallelujah but uh, we just had such a tremendous time together as a family uh my daughters put together this incredible activity list i mean from the time we got up to the time we went to bed boy we were hopping just for one really good activity uh to the next Uh, there were times of high praise and intimate worship around the campfire obviously there was a lot of feasting yeah we got to get back to the gym on that one uh but no we just we just had like seriously like deep fellowship of course it wouldn't be thanksgiving without our competitive sport sport events oh god help us uh yeah my children are all beasts uh, unbelievable even my daughters they're so competitive <laughs> uh so yeah they, we had a lot of fun uh playing outside and of course this was very interesting 
you know, we've raised 13 children, you know, on the front line of the battle. And, you know, each day when I was home, you know, we would read through the scriptures. We, we would set up the family altar. And it's just amazing, you know, kids have grown up. They started their own families. And as soon as we get back together, what appears? Ah, the family altar. And so, you know, we had times to uh, teach and train and equip uh, our children and grandchildren. I think the first day uh, I taught on the importance of faith um, as the anchor of our soul in these uh, tumultuous times that are just filled with such deception and delusion. And, uh, and then the next day on Thanksgiving, I normally would take the time to sit down with the family and just go through the Thanksgiving saga and just teach on the history and the heritage of our pilgrim forefathers and foremothers. And uh, if you've listened to some of our previous podcasts, we covered Thanksgiving, the pilgrims, um, Plymouth Plantation, the testimony of Squanto and, you know, things of that nature. But I just thought, this Thanksgiving will do something just a little bit different. So I recommended that we watch uh, Kurt Cameron's documentary called Monumental. And I believe, Destiny, we're putting that in the resource section, right? Yes. Um, and brothers and sisters, I, I cannot recommend this documentary enough to you. You know, we're living in a time when history is just being revised and rewritten to fit a leftist Marxist agenda. And uh, it is so important that we understand history, his, speaking of God's, story, uh, through the eons of time and through his covenant people. And so we sat down as a family, all my children, all my grandchildren, and we just went through this documentary because we thought it was a good idea. And I got to tell you, we were not disappointed. It was awesome. So I believe the last time that we left off, I ended the Thanksgiving saga with a quote by William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth. And it ties into the documentary. And he talked about the pilgrims being stepping stones to advance the kingdom of God in the new world. This is his exact quote. He says, a great hope and inward zeal they had, speaking of the pilgrims, of laying some good foundation. Keep that term in mind, foundation. Or at least to make some way thereunto for the propagating and the advancing of the kingdom of Christ. Notice that word, advancing, not retreating, not hiding, not neglecting, but advancing the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. Yea, though they should be, but as stepping stones unto others for the performing of so great a work. So as we're watching this documentary, Monumental, uh, it concludes with a visit to the graveyard where Bradford is buried. And a little known fact that his wife 
was actually the first death in the new world. Apparently, she fell off the back of the Mayflower and drowned. So she was the first casualty. And this is William Bradford's wife coming to this new world. Uh, and there is a, a, a grave marker, a, a tomb uh, at that grave site that acknowledges William Bradford's great love for Jehovah, the God of the Bible. And so you have this, uh, this gravesite visit with Kurt Cameron and William Foster. And, uh, and Foster's like declaring the legacy of William Bradford. And then they travel from the gravesite to what is known as the Forefathers Monument. And remember Bradford talked about stepping stones? Well, the pilgrims were promoting a multi-kingdom generational vision. And it's there at that monument, that's where the relay race of faith is preserved. So important. And what this monument does, it preserves for all Americans the pilgrims' love first and foremost for God, for their families, and a great love they had for liberty. Now, what's interesting, this monument, and, and, and very few people know about this monument in America. It's not highly publicized, and you could understand why when we go to through the truths this monument seeks to present, <clears throat> excuse me, but this monument is the largest monument in America. It weighs, get this, 180 tons of pure granite. And in many ways, brothers and sisters, this is America's Ebenezer stone. I, I truly believe it's our official stone of remembrance. Now, if you recall, one of the main purposes of establishing altars or piling stones or establishing monuments in the Old Testament was to be a witness to children and future generations. God called upon the patriarchs, the fathers and mothers of the faith, that whenever, let's say they crossed the Jordan or, or something of that nature, he would command them to pile stones and put them on a hill in the hopes that one day the children will ask the profound question, what meaneth by these stones? And this gave the opportunity for the parents to train them in the faith and, and to use that opportunity to encourage them in their life in their generation, to preserve that godly heritage and the blessings that came with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of Almighty God. Now, this verse is not quoted in the documentary, but in essence, this is the question that comes up in this documentary, especially in light of how wayward our nation has become. And so there's a passage of scripture in Psalms 11.3, which is sort of the essence of the question that Kurt Cameron is asking Marshall Foster 
when it comes to this monument. Here's the question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's, in, in, in essence, why they're investigating the monument. Uh, and, and so he's, he's asking, Kurt Cameron's asking Marshall Foster, who, by the way, uh, was a great biblical historian. Um, he just recently passed to glory. But he, he, Kurt is asking him, hey, did our pilgrim forefathers and mothers kind of leave us some kind of strategy uh, a secret sauce recipe or or a blueprint to get our nation back on track in case listen in case we lost our way like exactly we have done in these days and so kirk is asking marshall is there any hope is there anything in our history that we could look at and hold up kind of where we are, what we're thinking, what we're believing, and how we're acting, and hold it up uh, to some standard that would guide us and point us true north once again as a nation. And so Foster assures him, there is. And that's when they went to investigate this monument. Now, before I teach on this monument, I just want to remind you of this biblical truth. The scripture tells us there's only one sure foundation, one solid rock that all men and nations can successfully build life, okay? And that foundation is the person of Jesus Christ. But here, here's the admonishment that the apostle Paul gave when he said there is no other foundation that can be laid except for Jesus Christ. And in context, Paul admonishes us, we have to be careful how we build upon that foundation. And if there is a failure, and there are many failures in the American church when it comes to the plight of our nation today, there's a long litany that we can address. But one thing for sure, we have not been careful in these days on how we have built upon that solid foundation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, here we uh, come to this monument. And what's amazing, this is this is a very tall monument. How, how, honey, do you remember? It was like 252 yes. feet. Yes. I believe this monument is 252 feet. And the top of it is a woman. And she is standing on top of the monument. She has one hand extended to the sky with a finger pointing to heaven. And what she is doing is she is pointing to the one true and living God, the God of the Bible, the maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the author and finisher of our saving faith. Now, she has in her hand an open Bible rather than a closed one, which is huge in its implication. An open Bible which in this case was the Geneva Bible, 
That Bible was translated by the Reformers. This made God's holy word available to the common man in the English language. Now, here's the difference. A closed Bible would indicate the scriptures were closed to the common man and only available to the religious elites of the day who were being used by the state to control the people. What the pilgrims endured in their day was a king that was controlling the church and the church was controlling the people on the behalf of the state. Well, what the Geneva Bible did was expose that and bust up that unholy alliance. And this is why in history, King James, who ordered a new translation, the King James version of the Bible, um, he, he, he was none too pleased with the Geneva Bible, because uh, in essence, he was the first one who coined the expression, the divine right of kings. The Geneva Bible contended against that assertion and refuted it. So this is why King James says, uh, no more Geneva Bibles. And he went after the presses to shut it down. Uh, he wanted this official King James Version because it more supported his view, which was the divine rights of kings. And so that's an important part of history. Well, this woman is having the Geneva Bible and it is open. That means people were reading it. So she, in one hand, she's pointing to the heavens acknowledging the God of heaven and earth. And on the other hand, she has an open Bible, which indicates the common people are reading the scriptures and crowned on her head is a star. So she has a star like on top of her forehead. And this represented God's wisdom to conduct her affairs in the earth. So what part of what part of the monument? What is, what is this teaching us? Well, in essence, the pilgrims put their faith and trust in the one true and living God of the Bible. Now, this led them not only to personal freedom from the sin that raged from within, but external political freedom from without. And in this truth, John Adams, our second president, obviously he wasn't part of the Pilgrim's generation. This is years later. And some people question, well, did, did our founding fathers of the Constitution and independence and the war, you know, uh, the Revolutionary War, did they have the same faith? Did they have the same worldview? And the answer is yes, absolutely. These were the children and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of those who came over with the pilgrims and the Puritans. And this is what John Adams said. He said, because we have no government armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion, listen, avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry, would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only, listen, 
Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So what were our pilgrim forefathers? What, what was this picture of this woman with a star in her head, with an open Bible pointing to heaven? What are they trying to convey to us? You know, their posterity. Well, I, I believe they're just simply trying to communicate Psalms 33, 12, which states, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Well, there are many other carvings on this monument, which each carving, each statue on this monument is 20 tons apiece. But here's the thing. They are all tied to biblical saving faith. In other words, these next carvings, these next statutes mean nothing apart from faith in the true and living God and the wisdom that his scriptures provide for us as we negotiate through this life. And so the next phase of going through the monument, the next statute was called morality. And again, this is the same morality that John Adams emphasized if we were going to be a free people in the United States of America. Now, this is what's interesting about this carving called morality. It's a woman, but get this. She has no eyes. She has no eyes. She can't see outward, but she is looking within as she experiences the gospel transformation of her heart. And what does that produce? It produces godly character that, again, not only sets us free from sin, but also delivers us eventually from any form of tyranny, be it religious or civil tyranny. So the woman representing morality, she has an, in her one hand a set of the Ten Commandments, and in her other hand, interesting enough, she has a scroll of the book of Revelation. And what this indicates, brothers and sisters, that morality must have a standard. And the only sure standard for morality is found only, only in the 66 books of Holy Writ. Here's the understanding that we need to recapture today. The pilgrims understood that morality never worked from the outside in by state law or religious traditions. Morality cannot be forced on the outside in. True morality proceeds from the inside and then works its way out. So critically important that we get the order right when it comes to godliness, holiness, righteousness. It is a work of the gospel. It is the work of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that sets us free from within. And then as we develop this new life, this new faith, this new walk with God, we began to transform things on the outside. Here, this really kind of affirms the teaching 
we find in the book of Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 11, 19, 20, and it testifies to this truth. This is what God's word said. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. Now watch this. He's going to take out the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now, why will he do this? So that we may walk in his statutes and keep his judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. See, it's God Almighty who performs that spiritual surgery that is so desperately needed in our hardened hearts and in our seared consciousness when we continue to sin deliberately, which is an, an offense to a holy God, which is, separates us from him and, and, and reveals how much we need Christ and his salvation to redeem us. He is the one that can regenerate our dead souls that are dead to God and alive to sin. But once we come to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, regeneration takes place. Now suddenly we're alive to God and we live a life of sanctification where we become more and more dead to sin. Which brings up the next carving in the monument. Get this, it's called evangelist. Are you kidding me? This is a monument about our pilgrim forefathers and, and the, the legacy that they have left for us. And by the way, this, this took over 70 years to build this monument, paid for by Congress and the state legislature of Massachusetts. So in other words, there, there may have been some private funding, but most of this was governmental funding. And they're promoting evangelism wow we certainly have come a long way since then brothers and sisters but they're on this monument they're highlighting the need for evangelism and so you have this picture of a man and they're calling him evangelist well why would they put this on the monument well perhaps they believe the words of jesus christ jesus said and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And he said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What were they looking for? They were looking for inward freedom, and they were looking for external freedom. And they knew the importance of the gospel, of the kingdom, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then the question becomes, well, how will people know the truth. Well, the Apostle Paul stated this, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. That's Romans 10, 14, and 15. Remember William Bradford's quote, why they came? Do you remember what's recorded in the Mayflower Compact 
our one of our first political documents for the advancement of the Christian faith. They wanted to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the shores of the new world. And so they understood the importance of evangelism. They understood the importance of the office of the evangelist. You know, he is the one who's called to preach the gospel of the kingdom under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what does this do? This transforms souls from within. This changes the desires of men and nations. All of a sudden, they don't want to go the way of dispensation. They don't want to give their bodies to, to immorality and drunkenness and things of this nature. All of a sudden, they have a change of heart, a change of passion, a change of desire. They, they want to start living right. They want to start doing good. Is this not a good to their souls? Is this not a good to family? Is this not a, a good to communities and to a nation? Of course it is. And so here, the monument is presenting this truth of the great need of evangelism. And I believe the Pilgrim Forefathers believed Proverbs 14, 34. And what does it say? It is righteousness and righteousness alone that exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Well, how can sinful men be made righteous in the sight of a holy God? It is only through the merits of Jesus Christ. And that message is preached by evangelists and the evangelism of the church of Jesus Christ. This is promoted on the monument. Amazing. Well, the next carving is law. Yes, the commandments of God. And so you got this huge guy. He, he's sitting on a throne of justice. And, and when I saw it, it just reminded me of the passage of Micah 6, 8, which is one of my favorite all-time passages of scripture. And this is where God is challenging mankind. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? First thing, you got to do justly. Second, love mercy. And this is proof that you're walking humbly with your God. And this part of the monument exemplifies that scripture. And so right next uh, to this man sitting on a throne of justice is another carving featuring Lady Justice. Very interesting. She has a scale of justice in one hand and a sword of justice in the other hand, whereby she is promoting equal justice and equal protection under law. That used to be the basis of our, of our jurisprudence in the United States of America. Obviously, that standard uh, has been corrupted uh, in these days. Uh, Lady Justice is no longer blind. Um, she is not only peeked through the, the blindfold, she's taking it off. And, um, and we know, you know, that situation uh, in America today. But it's important when we study this monument and the different carvings, you know, the teachings of Scripture, they are seeking, seeking 
to impart to us, especially when we go astray, especially when we lose our way like we have done uh, in these days. So when you have Lady Justice with the scales and the sword, it is promoting the idea that God demands equal weight and measures, not only in the economic system, but also in our system of justice. It promotes the idea of Lex Telianus, and you find that in the book of Exodus. And, and simply what that means is like Lex Telianus is like the golden rule of the justice system. If there's a crime that is committed, uh, Lex Telianus demands that the crime fit the penalty and the penalty fit the crime. No more and no less. This is critically important. Well, what does this reflect? What does Lady Justice reflect to America? You could find it in Deuteronomy 117 and Deuteronomy 1618. The Word of God states this, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, black or white. Um, he doesn't care what your race is. He doesn't care uh, what your social status is. He doesn't care what your economic status is. Everyone is equal in the sight of justice. Okay? He says, you are not to be afraid of any man's present presence for the judgment is God's and he flat out told the judges of his day when you when you render a judgment you better seriously keep in mind that you are representing the Lord in that judgment that's why there has to be just laws so critically important and believe me every magistrate that violates this today or in history or in the future you will stand before god based upon that standard know that so you should fear him and do what is right when it comes to the matters of justice and they said the case that is too hard for you bring to me speaking of moses and i will hear it then in Deuteronomy 16, listen to this. It's, it's very clear. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. Now remember, gates in the Old Testament, that was the threefold seat of authority. That's where uh, political summits took place, was at the gates. That was also the seat of judicial authority. That's where the elders judged cases. And it was also the seat of of commerce where trade and business took place and so God is saying you you appoint judges and officers to be at those gates which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes now now here's the criteria listen and they shall judge the people with just judgment there is a plumb line of truth there is a plumb line for law okay there's a plumb line for justice and we got to make sure it is just in the sight of god and before men who are either 
mete out judgment or receive judgment. He says, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. Now watch this, nor take a bribe. In America, justice can be bought for the highest bidder. That's why you see our politicians, these people are literally murdering people, committing treason against our own nation, and they're never ever held to account. Why is that? We are on the, under the judgment of God because we have violated these truths. And I'm here to tell you, and mark this down, if God ever decides to restore our nation in righteousness, one of the first things you will see, all these murderers and criminals and perverts and Marxists, all these people who are destroying our nation from within, once they are held to account, once they are charged with a crime and penalized, then you know God has heard our prayers and he is about the business of restoring us as a people, as a nation. But right now, the justice system is being bribed. It is being bought. And that's why God says, if you sit as a judge, as a magistrate, you are not allowed to take a bribe. He says, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Have we not seen it in these days, brothers and sisters? We surely have. And so here's this monument, right? This is monument. It's in Massachusetts. It's, it's in a residential area, by the way. And I would, I, I don't know the percentage of people in America who knows it there. I, I guarantee it's probably pretty low. But there it lies. And what is it doing? It's pointing the way back home. Brothers and sisters, we're a prodigal nation. We have left the Father's house and we have gone a whoring after other gods and faiths and worldviews. You know, everybody's trying to come up with a different system, a different strategy on how to conduct the affairs of America today. And it's been a disaster. It's been a flat-out failure. And so here's the monument pointing the way back. But how many know about it? And how many know about these truths that we're articulating here today? It's so critically important. I want to conclude this episode with this, with this understanding. Only God's law of justice and mercy in the civil sphere can successfully negotiate. Listen the divine tension between authority and liberty. Brothers and sisters, we're sinners. We must be governed. God has created different authorities, different jurisdictions and governments to glorify himself and to be a benefit to mankind, to restrain evil so we can live peaceable lives, right? With all truth and honesty. So there has to be authorities, but at the same time where men needs to be governed, there's a great cry of the human heart to be free. We desire to walk in liberty. It's an incredible impulse in the human heart. And so we have this tension between authority and liberty. We must be governed, but we long to be free. And this is where a biblical worldview 
is so important. This is where the understanding of the sovereignty of God is so important. This is so important when it comes to the truth of this monument, when it talks about faith and morality and law and justice and mercy. All this comes from the scriptures. All this comes from the Bible. This was the Bible the pilgrims were carrying here to the new world. And so what this produces, brothers and sisters, and what we're losing today, see, our, our pilgrim fathers and our founding fathers were looking for two things. They were looking for a just social order so we could prosper in peace and use our talents and our skills and apply them to, you know, grow, to mature, to prosper, to be a blessing to our families and, uh, you know, to have this liberty. But at the same time, you know, when you need this just social order, they also wanted to make sure that individuals enjoyed maximum individual freedom. And I am just telling you, brothers and sisters, the truths that this monument is presenting to America that we have lost, this is the only faith, this is the only truth, and the only worldview that can produce this in a fallen world. Well, that is going to be the end of this episode. Uh, there was so much uh, that I wanted to communicate, so I knew I probably would not be able to do it in one episode. And so we're going to have a second. It will be the second ep uh, episode on a stone of monumental importance. And so when we come back, we're going to look at education. We're going to look at the importance of elders. And then we're going to take a look at this guy called Liberty Man, which Kurt Cameron called a stud. And uh, interesting guy on this monument. So when we come back, we're going to discuss those three virtues and how important they are when it comes to securing a future and a hope for our children and grandchildren. Well, to next time, this is Rusty Thomas with Kingdom Moments. Keep pressing on, saints, to that high call and prize. In Jesus' name.